waking you up? No, nothing. It's just there's... There's one thing. There's an owl. At my window. Only on CBS 46, Birds of Prey. Living up to their name, multiple reports of owls attacking people in Atlanta. The predators silently swooping in on unsuspecting citizens. Wow. It should be mentioned that barred owls are known to owl experts to attack people out of the blue, unprovoked, with no warning. Welcome to The Soul Trap. We trust that whatever time dimension this broadcast finds you, it finds you in good health, good spirits, and most importantly, on that good and narrow way. Today, we are talking about something odd, but not that odd for The Soul Trap. We are talking about owls, synchronicity, and the UFO abductee. There's a great book by Mike Cleland. I, I've had it for probably a couple years, never got around to reading it. And then here recently, I was looking for something to read, pulled it out and started reading it, and I could not put the book down. It's called The Messengers by Mike Cleland. I'm reading the back of the cover here, and it says, The owl has held a place of reverence and mystique throughout history. And as strange as this might seem, owls are also showing up in conjunction with the UFO experience. Well, that really caught my attention because I really believe that the closer we get to the advent or the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to see a return more and more and more to the days of Noah. I actually believe that the post-Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution, even post-modernism to a large degree, kind of closed off the mind of man to the immaterial world. Uh, but the reality is, the more that we're coming towards the end, the more the immaterial world is becoming real. In fact, science now is finally starting to catch up with the Bible, the fact that just because something isn't material doesn't make it real. In a totally unrelated book, and yet in a deep way related, there's a book called The Quantum Revelation. And this little phrase very caught my, caught my attention. Taking in what quantum physics is revealing to us about our universe, now here's the important part of the quote, it dissolves the boundary between mind and matter. In discovering the quantum, physics has indisputably encountered consciousness. Well, we had an indisputable encounter of consciousness long before quantum scientists like Planck and others came up with that. And that's called Ephesians chapter number six, verse 12. So when I'm reading this book, The Messengers, it really caught my attention for several reasons. Number one, there is a conjunction between the animal world, specifically owls, which are deeply related with paganism and occultism, and the UFO phenomenon. And that's something that has always been something that we have talked about, something we've always mentioned. Uh, and that is that these are not little green men from some faraway planet that are coming to uh, you know, take over the world and plunder us for our resources. That what we're talking about when we're talking about UFOs is we're talking about something deeply dimensional, something spiritual. And in many cases, though not all, something deeply, deeply evil and sinister. The back of the cover goes on to state, the owl connection encompasses more than the UFO experience. It also includes profound synchronicities 
ancient archetypes, dreams, shamanistic experiences, personal transformation, and death. From the mythic legends of our ancient past to the first-hand accounts of the UFO abductees, owls are playing some vital roles. And so I think it's a very fascinating book, and we're going to talk about this for a little bit today. And I would be interested, whether you email us or comment in the show, if you have ever had an experience with owls. To me, they're freaky. They're a little bit odd-looking. Anything that can spin its head around like that reminds me of something else that I saw years ago in a movie that could spin its head around. Uh, she was laying in a bed and demon-possessed, but I digress. The book is really, really fascinating. Uh, again, no book outside of the Bible do we agree with 100%, but there's some really, really good, interesting information in this book. I want to start by reading just a little bit from the introduction written by Richard M. Dolan, who himself is a UFO uh, researcher. Dolan writes, you are about to read one of the most original books ever written on UFOs, one that will make any thoughtful person ask fundamental questions about the nature of reality itself. More than any work in recent memory, it successfully ties, I think that's key, it successfully ties the UFO phenomenon not simply to possible extraterrestrial intelligence, but to synchronicities, archetypes, dreams, experiences, magic, personal transformation. Now, when he uses that word ties, that really rings a bell with us here at the Soul Trap because that's one of the things that we have constantly talked about. And I think a lot of you out there that listen and watch are, are along that same lines. There is a connectivity. There is something that is interweaving back and forth, a, a, a sort of a fabric of reality that is strung together, sewn together, sub-sub-particles, so to say, of a spiritual binding. And that's why whether you're looking at the Vegas shooter, whether you're looking at uh, uh, Sandy Hook, whether you're looking at Building Number 7, whether you're looking at uh, uh, Mothman or whatever, there seems to be this running theme that's going around, the ties there. Nolan goes on to write, the accounts of these people, including those of Mike himself, suggest undeniable synchronicities at work. That is, coincidences that are highly meaningful to the persons involved. So meaningful in some cases that they seem staged for that person, and usually in a manner that only that person could decipher. This is heady stuff for those of us raised in the standard Western-based materialistic rendition of reality. Now, think about what he just said, and remember what we just quoted from that quantum book. The materialistic rendition of reality. That has permeated our society for what, four, 500 years? And the truth is, if everybody, of, of all the people, of all the people that should be, without a doubt, non-materialistic, that should be highly attuned and sensitive to the spirit world, Christians have become bombarded, I mean saturated with a materialistic worldview. When you open the Bible up and it starts with an immaterial God, the Bible says God is a spirit, an immaterial God creating a material world. In other words, the foundation, not to get too platonic here, but the foundation of our, our world and our reality is rooted in the immaterial. That's why the Apostle Paul, if you read the Bible, says in 2 Corinthians chapter number two, or chapter 4 that we are to look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. And I don't want to digress too much into getting preachy here, but fundamentally, 
everything that you and I see right now is going to be dissolved. In fact, the very heavens themselves, the Bible says, will be folded up as a scroll. Second Peter says that the heavens and the earth will be dissolved right down to the very, to the very elements. And so what Dolan is saying here is, is that this connection with UFOs, synchronicity, and owls, strangely enough, the bird, which, by the way, shows up in the Bible on several occasions connected with demons and, and hell itself, he's saying that it's letting us know that there's something beyond the materialistic uh, reality that we have become locked in. He goes on in the introduction and says, some of the synchronicities in this book defy common sense. Mike writes about two women living only 43 miles apart from each other in Massachusetts with experiences so parallel, with such similarity in detail that they seem like bookends. Both had a kind of, and here's the word now, mystical experience after a focused intention that had a profound effect on their lives. Both of them had this experience while lying on their outdoor hammock. For both of them, their events started while they were alone and both were soon joined by their child and husband. And then he goes on to talk about it. There is definitely something going on out there. Another little phrase that Nolan talks about is mentioning in this book of Cleland's, the maybe people. He says there is a subtle gray zone where large numbers of people have described many of the strange aspects relating to this mystery, yet without any particular memory of a UFO contact. Mike's concept in this book of the maybe people underscores the complexity of this phenomenon. And I think that that's, that's a great word for us to use as we dive into this subject a little bit, the complexity of this issue. And it's not just a complexity of who's faking it and who's not. In other words, who's telling the truth and who's trying to get their 15 minutes of fame. Uh, the complexity goes much deeper than that. And I think one of the reasons why is much like the experiments in quantum physics, much like the experiments that are hard to explain, even the nature of light itself, which we might get into in just a few minutes, there is a complexity because there is a veil that we bump up against. We can see vaguely through it. We can feel certain things vibrating through it, but there is a limit to our knowledge. And yet when we experience these things, there is definitely something there. He goes on and mentions in the introduction that one of these stories concerns a woman who saw a large white owl outside her window as she was jolted out of sound sleep. Sounds like a movie called The Fourth Kind. It sat on a bare branch positioned perfectly for her to see it. The next morning, she again woke with a start. Just as she sat up in bed, the phone rang, informing her of the death of a family member. Coincidence, you say? Possibly. Synchronicity? Possibly. Connectivity? I think absolutely. Dolan goes on to write, this woman also had multiple UFO sightings, a near-death experience, possessed psychic ability, and had other strange events occur in her life. As Mike wrote, quote, it's as if her lifetime of unusual experiences created an opening that morning for an owl to land on that bare branch. It could be that this owl was delivering a message, which the book of Ecclesiastes seems to imply is possible. Sad though it may have been to someone with the life experiences that would allow her to receive it, she still needed to receive the message. Dolan wraps up his introduction by saying, something very odd is going on in our world. And I couldn't help but write a little note, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet.
So what is going on with owls? What is taking place with owls, UFOs, and the spirit world? Well, Cleland writes in his book and shares some very interesting things. And, and before we actually dive into the warp and woof of the owl itself, I think it's very interesting to see how much this is connected with UFOs. And one of the things you're going to see over and over is that there is a UFO connection with owls and that there is a occult-like, mystical experience-like connection with all three. He talks about, on page 16 and 17, memories that haunted him. He states, I have a set of memories from my youth that paint a disturbing picture. Three events that had always haunted me. In 1974, as a 12-year-old boy, I had a very clear UFO sighting at night. I was with a friend and we both watched a coffee can-shaped craft out of his bedroom window. It was slowly descending and rotating in an eerily smooth motion. It's hard to say how big it was, but it seemed about the size of a van, and it felt close to his home. We watched it gliding downward for maybe less than a minute, and then it simply disappeared. The next one he mentions was a few months later while walking home from a high school football game. We both saw an odd orange-shaped flash in the sky. This happened just blocks away from my house. Right in the moment, we both commented that it was jarring. When I got home, my parents were angry at me for being out so late. It should have been about 9.30, but it was almost 11.30. It seems that I had about two hours of missing time. The next Monday at school, he told me he saw, quote, a UFO with lights and everything. The next time that Cleland speaks about encountering UFO, I was 30 years old in the winter of 1993 and living alone in a small house in Maine. I woke up in the middle of the night because a bright light was shining into the room. I sat up in bed, looked out my bedroom window, and saw five spindly aliens walking toward the house. These were the typical gray beings that get reported. They had oversized bald heads and huge black eyes. This should have been terrifying, but I felt absolutely nothing. It's a fascinating statement. I felt absolutely nothing. I was oddly sucked dry of any emotion. Very vampiric, one would say. After a few moments of looking at these beings, I heard a voice in my head, Oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and black out. And that's exactly what I did did. Now, I could go on reading about this, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you a flavor of the fact that when we get into the issue of owls, and even when we get into the issue of, of animals in general, there seems to be a connection. There seems to be a connectivity, and that's what he's going to draw the story of here. What he's saying is, is that in many of these instances, owls play a role either by way of introduction to the alien encounter or in the midst of the alien encounter, sometimes even post the alien encounter. Another story that he tells is not about himself, but about an abductee and experiencer by the name of Derek. He talks about Derek and Derek's experience beginning with owls in the desert. He states what follows is a good example of an owl showing up in relation to a UFO sighting. It was told to me by a man named Derek. He goes on and explains that Derek had first had an example or an experience of encountering an owl in the deserts of Arizona. 
He picks up with the story a little bit later on and says, A few days later, Derek saw another unidentified flying object with one of his fellow campers who had been sleeping through this first sighting. They were driving together in Scottsdale, Arizona at about 11 p.m. And here's what Derek says. My car at the time had a sunroof, and we were driving on a long, perfectly straight road that reached to the horizon. As we were chatting, we saw a very brightly lit sphere come over the sunroof and proceed to the horizon centered directly above the road. It was fast, significantly faster than any plane I had ever witnessed, but it stayed visible in the sky far too long to be a meteor. I have no idea of knowing the altitude of the object, but it appeared slightly smaller than a golf ball held at arm's length. Now, this witness, McClelland says, describes two strange UFO sightings. Both of them were preceded by the sighting of an owl. The owl was looking directly at him and his friend. He states that he felt, and listen, he states that he felt uneasy under the intense gaze of the owl. McClelland writes, or Cleland writes, from all that I have heard in this research, the, de the details of this story are curiously normal given the stories that are coming out. This includes the owls right before the sighting. You know, when I read that, I found that interesting that he made that little statement. I felt uneasy under the intense gaze of the owl. Many times people speak about the eyes of the aliens when they claim alien abduction. That's what stands out to them. They're concerned. They're struck. They can't get away from the gaze of that alien's eyes pouring into them. There's something there. Now, the fascinating thought is that Jesus speaks about the eyes and the window of the soul and the single eye. We've often talked about that. It's interesting to think about what these owls actually are. Is it possible... Is it possible that these are real owls? Is it possible that these are aliens manifesting themselves as owls? Is it possible that these are spiritual beings manifesting themselves in a physical form that would resonate with our minds? Obviously, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that we'll be riding back on white horses. Now, I have to take that literally that that, that will be a white horse. And yet, how do you ride from the time-space continuum of heaven to earth on a horse? It's, there's something spiritual about that. There was a chariot and horses that caught up, raptured up, or abducted Elijah. How do you figure that and put that in there? Of course, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the little bird, and then you have the comments of the bird and the owl throughout the Bible. You have the birds that lodge in the tree in the parable of Matthew. In other words, I think it's interesting that you have these owls showing up, and what's fascinating about the owl is that it's the owl. It's not hawks, ravens, though we often associate ravens and blackbirds with witches. Far more often, it is the owl. It's almost as if there is something occult-like taking place, a, a paganistic kind of experience that's happening to them. So Cleland goes on and develops this thought a little bit. And, and I think this is very interesting. He says, on verse, um, uh, he says on page 24, digging into these stories, I am less interested in what we would call UFO abductee and more interested in the blurry netherworld of the maybe experience. That's an interesting comment. 
He says, I sense there is an unsettling large portion of the population, and there is no way to know what the percentage might be that fits this category. Even without the overt memories of abduction, these maybe people have had a subtle intrusion into their psyche. On the simplest level, it is as if these folks are granted a kind of insight into reality. They know that there is more going on than what we are taught in high school physics class. Now, <laughs> what's interesting to me is, is that I believe this is how the Antichrist, the rapture, and the powers of darkness are all going to unfold. So, so if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, and specifically a Bible believer, you fall into that category. In other words, the more spiritual that you are, the more you would fall into the category of having, quote, a kind of insight into reality. They know that there is more going on than what we are taught in high school physics class. You would know that if you were a Christian. But what's interesting is, I wonder if just as much as Christians just as much as Christianity is trying to reach the minds of men and convince them that we are to set our affections, Colossians 3, set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. I wonder if that same thing is happening beneath the surface. We are prepping as best we can the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ, for a breaking of the physical reality whereby the physical and the non-physical come together. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. In fact, every Sunday when somebody is preaching or teaching, that's fundamentally what you're trying to do. You're trying to tell them that there is a world that is operative in the physical, but yet it is immaterial. And they need to respond to that. Well, I wonder if this is happening now among the people that are lost, within those that have within them, according to Ephesians 2, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I wonder what's happening in the shadows, in the dark bedrooms, in, in the lonely, cavernous hearts of men and women that do not know Christ as their Savior. I wonder if there is a dark preparation taking place whereby people will instinctively already be tuned in to the coming of the Antichrist. Now, Cleland goes on and talks about he says, imperfect though it may be, I'll be using the term maybe people throughout this book. And he goes on to talk about the word alien is used throughout this book as well. And some object to this because it implies a being from another planet. Others prefer visitors, ETs, UFO occupants, or star beings. I know one woman, he states, who refers to them only as creatures. The dictionary has several definitions of uh, for aliens, one of them is, quote, differing in nature or character, typically to the point of incompatibility. Now, that's really fascinating to me, those two words there. She calls them creatures. The Bible talks about taking the gospel to every creature. Ephesians chapter number three says that the heavens actually watch what's going on. Incompatibility would speak to Daniel chapter number two, verse 43, where you have clay and iron, but they are not compatible. Cleland writes, all these words fall short because none of this is straightforward. I sense a lot of overlap and blurring, a disparate gray zone where easy answers seem impossible. And I think he's right. Cleland states, I struggle because this stuff can be terribly complex. There's no simple way to sum up the conflicting experiences that get reported by real people. 
Some will tell hellish nightmare stories of the hands of their alien kidnappers. Others will tell blissful stories as if they are communing with angels. The fact of the matter is, no matter what, he says, there is both deep trauma and mystical transcendence woven into this phenomenon. And these opposite extremes need to be acknowledged. One of the things that's fascinating, again, is in this traumatic experience and in this transcendent mystical experience, owls have played a profound role. Now, owls play that role that's very odd, and we have to ask ourselves, what is it about the owl that would play such a prominent role? If we look at the owl, not just from a spiritual side point, but from a very technical, biological, is there something about the owl that would be more in tune to the spirit world maybe than another? Cleland addresses that, and I think in a really good way. He says, what is that attraction to UFOs? Owls are noted in both mythology and first-hand accounts to show up around highly charged locations and environments. Powerful emotions, synchronicities, energy beings, sacred sites, paranormal happenings, like ghosts and hauntings. These are all environs where an owl might make an appearance. Maybe little kids draw an owl next to a haunted house for a reason. This kind of speculation is pretty slippery because as, and I'm digressing here, but as Young or someone else would say, this could simply be in the collective consciousness of people. But Cleland says it seems to fit in a way that addresses some of the UFO reports. What about abductees who tell about owls just hanging around their houses? Do UFO abductees give off some sort of glow that the owls can see? Now that's, a, again, these, these connectivities that we're drawing connection to. When an abductee encounters the spirit world in that particular way, maybe not maybe not blatantly physically, but is there a higher charge about them that does give them a higher voltage, for lack of a better word, of light? We know that when Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was brighter than the sun. We know that when Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, his face shone like, like so bright they had to cover it up. Okay, well, they're not spending time with God, but is it possible that simply being in that dimensional realm or in contact with that dimension creates something about that person's aura that the owl can see. He says people, perhaps people who have had contact experiences are now tagged with some sort of ethereal vibration that can be seen by owls. Perhaps they've undergone some change, not so much on a physical level, but there might be something heightened within their emotions or their subconscious, or it might be happening at a level of their soul. Is it possible that something has happened to their DNA? This distinct individuating vibe may fluctuate in relation to the contact events, increasing or decreasing before or after the abduction. I ask people who might have had abduction experiences if they can wear a watch. This is interesting. Curiously, many who have been abducted say they can't. They'll say that it will simply stop or the batteries will drain. The implication is that there is something about them that interferes with the electronics of a watch. Abductees will also report that streetlights will turn off above them when they are driving at night or walking under them. This has happened, Cleveland quotes, to me 
at times. So what is happening? It seems that abductees are influencing the reality around them in some very bizarre way. And is it possible that owls, with such odd and powerful sight, are able to tune into that? Now, animals can. I am... Um, Obviously, the obvious story in the Bible is the very Bible initiates with the serpent being more subtle than any beast of the field. Now, that was Satan, absolutely, no doubt about that. But that was Satan inhabiting the serpent. And one of the things that's fascinating is, is that when the serpent spoke to Eve, she was not surprised that it did so. Prior to the flood, prior to the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, was there some kind of communication between the spirit world, humans, and animals? Of course, we know the story of Balaam and the donkey who saw the angel ahead of time. Um, these are interesting questions. I read here, you can read it if you get Cleland's book, which you should. He talks about his cat being scared. And I'll never forget, I've had that happen on one or two occasions, but there's one particular that stands out in my mind. One night I was in the house by myself and um, I was reading, everybody was gone, it was quiet, it's probably about 8, maybe 9, 9.30, right around in there, 9, 9.30. And as I was reading, I saw the cat, our cat, walk across the living room and stop. And it didn't just stop, it stopped as if it was, it was rested in its emotion. And it looked up in the corner of our home, in our living room. Its fur began to fluff up. And it even began to make that little moaning, that little, little, it was angry at something, scared about something, staring up in the corner. Well, I assumed living in Florida here on the West Coast that some kind of lizard or creepy crawly or something like that was up there in the corner. And I looked, no bug, no lizard, no salamander, no frog. There was nothing in the corner, literally nothing in the corner of that house. But that cat, my cat, saw something in the corner that bothered well, I got to tell you, it bothered me. What was my cat seeing? What was it experiencing at a level that I simply was not physiologically capable of seeing? The question is, are owls seeing something that is profoundly there and yet we're simply just not able to see? It is not just what owls see as well. It is that whenever you have UFOs, Whenever you have these experiences, there is what is called the Oz factor. There is an odd altered state that owls are associated with. Cleland writes in his book, he says, speaking of Randall, who wrote about highly unusual sensations and how they are described by UFO witnesses, quote, if someone saw a light in the sky or even had a mundane UFO encounter with a strange looking craft, then these things would rarely appear. But if they had a close encounter, then these symptoms were more often than not. Now, that's, that's very important what he just said. Because most of the times, the owl experiences are directly connected with experiences of the third or fourth kind, and particularly the fourth kind. That might be the most frightening one of all, the closest to what you and I would call demon possession or encounters. He says, if you just see a light in the sky and it kind of goes on, very few people have the experience, but the owl is always associated when there is a third and really a fourth kind of encounter. Witnesses would tell me that they felt a strange sensation prior to the encounter, a sort of mental tingling, as if they were aware that something was about to happen. 
They would even tell me that they just had to look up and see what was there as if it had called to them silently. Then I would be told that during the experience, time seemed to disappear and lose all meaning. It was as if the encounter were happening in a timeless, magical void. Further clues kept popping up that the more I, that I tabulated these cases, the, for instance, there were claims that on the outset of the episode, all ambient sound faded away. Birdsong, the wind, trees, distant train noises, everything faded away. The Oz factor implies that the UFO close encounter has a visionary component and that the owl is actually signifying something very symbolic and profound. You might interpret that as meaning it is all in the imagination, but it really means that there is a direct feed, if you like, from the source of the encounter to the consciousness of the witness. When an abductee describes their contact experience, they'll almost always paint the event with an odd, dreamlike vibe. They'll struggle to articulate their memories because everything seems weirdly distorted. People will say things like, quote, I had a dream that wasn't a dream. Another thing that gets repeated is that the experience was more real than real. They perceive reality with heightened clarity, a hyper-vividness and eerie silence. That is what an owl does. Heightened clarity, hyper-vividness, and if you've ever heard an owl fly, well, you don't hear them fly. One thought is that simply being in the presence of alien entities is so traumatic to the experiencer that their sanity would be in jeopardy. So they have to come up with some kind of way to make sense. This altered state might be imposed as a protection for their benefit. I have often, Cleveland states, talked with people who have seen aliens in what would be their normal waking conscience. What they'll describe is a sledgehammer blow to the very fabric of reality as if their soul might be shattered from the shock. Now, all you have to do is look at the Bible. Just about every time somebody encounters an angel, that's exactly what happens. It is a sledgehammer blow because their reality is being distorted. Their construct is being ripped apart. And may I say to you that that is exactly what is going to happen at the rapture. That is exactly what's going to happen. Everybody's running around going, you know, is this World War III with Russia and Ukraine, the mark of the beast? Let me tell you something. This is just the hem of the garment of what is about to happen. We are about to see when the Lord really cuts loose a shock, a sledgehammer to quote Cleland, to the general psyche of humanity. He goes on to say it goes way beyond simply seeing something scary. It's as if the actual proximity to these aliens is incompatible with the essence of existence itself. That's a profound statement. Let me say that again. It's as if the proximity to these aliens is incompatible with the essence of existence itself. They left their first estate. They left their habitation. They had a device, Psalm 21, that they're not able to make work. The iron and the clay are not able to mix. It just doesn't work. And therefore, he says, the human mind is simply not able to handle it. Again, with all of these Oz factor encounters, you keep seeing owls show up in visions, in homes, flying over. Somehow or another, there is a mysterious connection. 
The thing about owls is that they're just very, very fascinating animals. Even if you don't connect them with demons, there's just something that's remarkable. Owls are really a gigantic input receiver. Owls are remarkable not only for their place in lore, both in mythology and UFO accounts, Cleveland writes, but for, but for what they are, creatures of astounding ability. Uh, it starts with their eyes. I don't have time to go into it, but their eyes are tubular, which allow for a large cornea, enabling the lens to collect more available light. And that's one of the things that fascinated me when I was reading this book, because I have also been reading uh, several other books dealing with, um, with quantum physics and light itself. And it's interesting to me, when you look at the connectivity, you've got owls connected with UFOs. Almost in every UFO experience, there is a bright light somehow or another. And then we talked about whether light is being pushed into or that the abductee somehow gives off a brighter light. And light itself is mysterious. Uh, you know, I've got a little article here by Michael uh, Skerber. He says, light goes through walls, but slows to a standstill in ultra-cold gases. It carries electronic information for radios and TVs, but destroys genetic information in cells. It bends around buildings and squeezes through pinholes, but ricochets off tiny electrons. Although we know it primarily as the opposite of darkness, most of light is not visible to our eyes. Because the truth of the matter is, defining light is a philosophical quandary, he writes. It doesn't help that light continues to surprise us. He goes on and talks about whether it's a wave or a particle and on and on you can read it. Very interesting to me that the very first thing that you see in the Bible is when God steps out of his dimension, of the spirit dimension, the first encounter we have is God saying, let there be light. You have word and light, vibration and light, vibration and light, which is exactly how the owl hunts. Light, vibration, a gigantic receiver. So the question is, is the owl simply more in tune with the spirit world because of its giftedness? In fact, he mentions, Cleland mentions the owl. He says the owl, however, might well be the most gifted input receiver in the animal kingdom. So they might actually be sensing the UFO with a heightened aptitude. UFOs create some very weird effects, and owls might be able to detect their presence in ways we can barely comprehend, let alone test scientifically. The question is, are owls attracted to the sight of UFO activities with enough consistency that it gets noticed by the abductees? Fascinating. Owls are an amazing thing. And I think, to some degree, throughout this book, Cleland is on to something. I think he's really on to something. This gigantic bird receiver, which is mentioned in Isaiah. Birds mentioned in the trees in the parable of Matthew. Birds mentioned in the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit compared to a dove. The two birds coming out of Noah's ark. For a millennia, all the other birds aside, there has been something profoundly pagan and occultic about the owl. And it is not just the owl itself or the owl with abductees, but we see the owl being used in some very, very overtly and sometimes hidden pagan ways. One is the owl design 
in the layout of Washington, D.C. I won't have time in this particular broadcast to go through all that is there, but you ought to do some study on your own. And what you'll find is that the Washington, D.C. layout is laid out in the form of an owl. Of course, you can find the owl on a dollar bill. As long as you still have a dollar bill, it won't be long before those will be gone. Of course, the very famous, famous owl is the god, small g, Moloch. And if you go online somewhere, you should be able to find Alex Jones's video. And if you don't believe that we live in a very sinister, dark world, you can see people worshiping Moloch, the fire in its belly, and the shape of an owl, the Bohemian Club. But there's also the story of Mothman. Now, John Keel made that very famous, I think in Point Pleasant or something like that, West Virginia. But some people also talk not just about the Mothman, but about the Owlman witnesses. In April 3rd, 1976, and June 17th, 1976, there were multiple reports of an owl-like humanoid that was terrorizing a community. And then... Maybe one of the strangest things is the synchronicity of the owl in movies, TV shows, and some as innocuous and yet as terrifyingly frightening as Pinocchio. Who doesn't like Pinocchio? But the fact of the matter is, if you want to see one of the most occultic, alien abduction, chimera kind of a weird things, Go back and watch the movie Pinocchio, or better yet, read the story. An owl-shaped, an owl shows up, Cleland writes, before the arrival of a star, being in Disney's Pinocchio in 1940. So the setup is, is that Jimmy, Jiminy Cricket, who is a locust, who you might want to read Revelation chapter number nine if you have any doubts of how important that is. So Jiminy Cricket sings. The serpent was more subtle. That word subtle in the Hebrew is a musical term talking about softness, gentleness. And of course, that's how you soothe and tame the snake by playing music. So the locust sings the yearning lyrics of when you wish upon a star. Do you know what stars represent in the Bible? They do not represent planets. They do not represent these spinning orbs flying throughout space because of the Big Bang. Stars very clearly throughout the Bible represent gods. So you have the locust, Jiminy Cricket, singing his song, When You Wish Upon a Star, and then he stares up at a big-eyed owl clock on the wall. Look at the video. He stares up at an owl, big-eyed big owl clock on the wall of Geppetto's workshop. Within seconds, he sees a curiously bright star in the sky out of his window. This twinkling star descends from the heavens, enters the room, and manifests as a shimmering orb. Do you remember Derek and what he talked about that went over them? And then this shimmering orb is transformed into the blue fairy. The scene plays out as an alien bedroom visitation, where in some sense the DNA of the inanimate Pinocchio is upgraded into some in-between state, Cleland writes, no longer a puppet, 
but not yet a real human. Of course, all of this story brings to mind the one thing that we all know about Pinocchio, and that is his nose grows by a lie. The entire story is based around a lie. And truthfully, the story is not about Pinocchio. The story really is about Geppetto, the father of the lie. All of that symbolism wrapped up around the big-eyed owl clock on the wall. Of course, the most famous, maybe of all, uh, paranormal occult would be our friend Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Who has an owl messenger as his friend, right according to Ecclesiastes. That helps him along the way. The owl plays an integral part in Harry Potter. And of course, that would make sense because when you think about the author, J.K. Rowling, right in the middle of her name, R-O-W-L is an owl. So what are we to make of all of this? Well, the simple answer is birds of a feather flock together. There are connections throughout the world. What happens if you're driving along one day or walking through the woods and see an owl? Does it mean you're going to be abducted? Does it mean there is a demonic activity going around? Does it mean that at any moment the fabric of your reality could tear apart? Absolutely not. It probably means you just see an owl. But it could mean, well, it could mean that you are now entering into a world that is in that gray area. And you may be one of the maybe people. Like quantum particles themselves, these owls of paranormal activity, now you see them, now you don't. Here one minute, flying away the next, which reminds us of what's going to happen to us as Christians very, very soon. A white owl. It was just looking at me.